Hello, painters. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Hello, all of you lovely painters out there. We are back for another book club episode looking at Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. We generated some conversations, some topics. Our first impressions episode went over so great. We appreciate all of your feedback. Before we jump into it, let's say hello and welcome to a couple of our new patrons. We've got Keith M. Hello, Keith. Welcome to the Patreon. And Argus Dubs. We say hello to you both and welcome everyone to join over on the Patreon, getting right now all of the exclusive episodes for, for the Secret Project 4. I almost said the title, but we'll hold it back just in case for <laughs> just a little. Just in case. Some people might still be trying to be not spoiled as they wait for their physical copy. It's a good one. Very excited. But to stay with Patreon, we have a very exciting announcement. Exciting indeed. Tell us about what's going on for the year of Sanderson celebration finale. It's been a little while since we've done a giveaway. And so here at the end of this year of Sanderson, we are going to do a raffle. So anyone who has been a patron for at least one month by December 31st, so last day of the year, any of those people are going to be entered into a raffle for a leather-bound Cosmere book of their choice. Obviously, the book needs to be available on the Dragonsteel website. We cannot control if something has sold out. However, if you have been a patron for at least a month by December 31st, you could win. Yeah, we're going to throw everyone's name into a big digital hat, pull out a lucky winner, and send them any of the Leatherbounds or deluxe secret project that they may want. We believe anything that is $100 or less USD, we will be sending it over to you as a thank you for this year of Sanderson. A thank you to the fans, a thank you to the patrons, a thank you to Brandon, a thank you to the universe for having this other Cosmere universe with inside of it. If everything is sold out by the end of the year because of Christmas, we will figure it out with that winner person. Never you fear, there will be a wonderful prize for you. So, You've got a couple of months. Go ahead, join over on Patreon. Make sure that you can be entered in that raffle at the end of the year, plus, you know, a bunch of other cool perks and cool people over there. But for now, we've got a lot to talk about for Yumi. Yes, because we have gone deep. Get out your notepads, put your thinking caps on. Brooke has created tables and bases <laughs> and sheets. There's so many different names of different programs now, but we've got them all so that we can break down the planetary system and kind of the history of this previously unknown yeah. Cosmere system. Yeah, we've got a brand new planetary system in the Cosmere. It has two planets, and the planet that we spend most of our time on in Yumi and the Nightmare Painter has a very complex 
history. So we're going to get into that in this episode and just sort of establish the baseline of what exactly happened here. Exactly. We're trying to get that baseline so that we can move forward and so that we can incorporate what we know about the rest of the Cosmere and, you know, take the information that we've gotten from Yumi and plug it back in. So this episode, we're locating ourselves in space. Next episode, we're going to dive into the more complex workings of the magic on the planet. That sounds great. Let's begin with a little bit of pronunciation for the fun folks out there. We are looking at the UTOL system. Maybe UTOL, if you really loved the letter U, and you're like, I just need to emphasize that real hard. But how is our pronunciation going to be here on mic? I think we just need to put the emphasis on the second syllable so that it's UTOL system. Right. Is what I would go with. And that is what we're going with because we just do whatever Brooke wants to do here. (laughs) So the Utol system has two planets that we know about, both inhabited. One, Kamashi, is the home of Yumi and our nightmare painter. Painter. The other, though, is probably more well-known in the Cosmere, and its planetary name is the same as the system name. Yes, Utol. We'll dive into both of these. But let's start off, though, with a quote from the book itself. Quote, Komashi survived. Find it in the Utol system in dual orbit with the planet Utol, which you might have heard about for other reasons. End quote. Intrigue. What other reasons? We assume that there have been, well, we're making a couple of assumptions. One, Hoyt is our narrator. Hoyt is mm-hmm. telling this story to a group of people that we believe are on Rashar, or yes, at least Rashar. It certainly seems so. So when. The question becomes, when have those people learned about Utol? Not when we, the readers, although that's, you know, a double entendre that Brandon probably is playing with. But I do think that these audience members are supposed to have some knowledge of the Utol system. It seems like it. Now, you might know this better for astronomy. What does dual orbit mean? Does that just mean that the two planets are both orbiting the same sun? Or is this another thing like we have on Taldane where they have a tidally tidally locked locked Mm, orbit? Like is a dual orbit something specific or does it just mean two planets are orbiting? Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but this is my understanding of what that phrase dual orbit means. It's not just like our solar system that has eight planets. So that's not an octangular orbit. Uh, That is simply eight planets all orbiting. Instead, what I think is going on is that Komashi and Utol have a relationship that's closer to Earth and its moon, that they are orbiting Orbiting each each other. other. And both of them are orbiting a single sun. Ooh, okay. So this can definitely happen. It's normally considered rare and less stable than our solar system Mm -hmm. that we have set up. But it's not altogether uncommon because, of course, it is believed that our moon was created when a planet-sized object came and struck Earth, and the moon is the remnants of that collision. So in this circumstance, it would be like the two planets, instead of crashing into one another, they got into a orbital pattern around one another and are like stable in that. 
That's very interesting. Because that gives the planets a closer relationship to each other, mm-hmm. which I feel like is not uh, a mistake. You know, that's not an accident. I think that if that is the situation that Brandon is putting the planets in, that has secondary implications for all kinds of other things in the Cosmere. Now, the question about being tidally locked as they are in the Taldane system, I think is separate, but it's not crazy to think that these two planets might be tidally locked with one another, Mm -hmm. even if they're not tidally locked to the sun. With the sun, yeah. So we might understand Hmm. that single light from Utol to Kamashi as always being consistent like a sun because they are tidally locked in their orbit. Yeah, so they're always getting the same reflected light off of that planet. Yeah, and the same perspective on it, which, of course, moves them forward quite a bit, as we are going to talk about throughout their history. Super interesting. Obviously, we don't have a whole ton of information about that, but just that one sentence gives us a lot of things to think about. We also know that the sun that they're orbiting is a large red-orange sun, so there's a fact. And the light that Utol emits is said to be a soft blue light, and that soft blue light is the only light that is able to penetrate the shroud, which is very weird because you would think the power of the red-orange sun would be stronger than this reflected light from, well, I guess we don't necessarily know that it is reflected light. (laughs) I think that's an important question. It could be reflective light off of Utol. It could also be a non-natural light. For example, it could be like a lighthouse built on Utol, meant to shine throughout the Cosmere. And it could be a consistent, we'll say maybe like, cognitive shadow influenced or a cognitive realm influenced light and maybe that is why it is able to penetrate the investiture of the shroud mm-hmm. in a way that the light from the sun cannot yeah yeah that's a good point if it is different from the sun in that way in being able to pierce investiture then it does seem like it would not be natural light that it would be maybe invested light in some way or silver light oh tip girl oh my god i literally just thought of that right now in this moment now silver light working on multiple different meanings we have not actually i've never considered the possibility that the word silver light may come from an actual thing light that is generated by silver in some way yeah we know that silver can counteract pierce destroy destroy investiture yeah all over the cosmere that is a cosmere constant i really like this idea i think i'm a genius you are a genius and it makes a lot of sense too because brandon recently did a interview with our friends over at the 17th shard and he talked about i don't want to get too far out ahead because we are going to do a whole word of brandon episode from this year 2023 but this is one of the important things he said that the silverlight sanctuaries are the remnants of dragon castles 
throughout the cognitive realm. Yeah, and- I mean, I think this makes sense because dragons also, as far as I know, originated from... The Yolin system or the Yolish system. Yes, which is also, as far as I know, the original homeworld of the Shodel, who we know at least some Shodel are currently inhabiting Utol. So it would make sense if they had Silverlight, the original thing that sort of gave birth to all of these dragon castles and the organization of Silverlight. I think that this is a good call. And I also, again, just want to jump way out beyond my own experience level. But I think if you uh, burn silver, it gives off a blue hue, which is fun. Uh, Now, I could be totally wrong. but like, Where are chemists? Chemists out there, please send us a message. Tell us if that's right. Otherwise, we're just going to keep stacking on theories on top of (laughs) this one tiny and we'll just be like, everything means silver light. (laughs) No, I really honestly believe that's a great call. Hoyt himself, though, does note that he does not understand why that light can penetrate Mm. the cloud. Hmm. And if it was something as obvious as, well, we have silver light, which is some magical cognitive You wouldn't think that Hoyt would know about that. Exactly. Darn it! (laughs) However, what he said is he suspects it's because it's close to where virtuosity splintered herself and in the book i think that's the first mention of Mm -hmm. virtuosity Mm -hmm. so maybe there is a virtuosity as the source and something on utol reflecting that source the light is not coming from the sun Mm -hmm. but it's coming from something that virtuosity left behind what if the light is reflecting off of silver (laughs) <laughs> you really want this to okay so the silver is the backing it's like the, what the mirror is made out of yeah and then the light source is maybe virtuosity's remnants the shard yeah. remnants yeah and then it bounces off and travels throughout the cosmere as silver light <laughs> there you go that's how you stay yeah. a genius oh in my this. gosh <laughs> There's your fun speculation for the day. And we're just starting because this is about to get a little bit crazier. As we've introduced virtuosity, I think now is the perfect time to talk about the stuff we learned from Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. This is our 15th shard. There's only one shard left that is unnamed. We now have virtuosity. Virtuosity, because I've seen some confusion and discussion about this online. Virtuosity is not related to the word virtue or like being virtuous. It doesn't have anything to do with being morally upstanding. Virtuosity means to have great skill in an artistic pursuit. So this uh, can be turned into the word virtuoso, Mm. who is a person who is incredibly skilled, a master of their artistic pursuit. I think we said in our last episode that Yumi is a virtuoso of rock stacking. So that's what virtuosity means in the large sense. We know that this shard shattered herself, and we do not know why. We don't think that there is a similar maybe fight or battle with Odium that like yeah. led to their eventual shattering. It's completely possible that Virtuosity unprovoked shattered themselves for reasons we don't comprehend at this time. But I, at least right now, would be hesitant to say anything else was involved in their shattering. It seems like... It was their own decision. 
Yeah, obviously, we don't know the different factors that went into that decision. For example, did Virtuosity hear a rumor that Odium was coming for her and preemptively shattered herself before Odium could get there? You know, like maybe it's not completely in a vacuum, but it sounds like there was not, as you said, any kind of conflict specifically that led to this shattering. My question is... Did the spirits, the hijo, exist before the shattering? Or were they the result of the shattering? Did the yoki hijo exist before and or after? They seem to be sort of like the returned because there's only 14 of them. Mm -hmm. So it seems like maybe the shard was choosing, you know, 14 people at a time to be given a large piece of her power how does that work after virtuosity dies? Does virtuosity shatter like at the same time as the machine? I have so many questions about how this is all connected and what the timeline is. And we're going to play around a little bit more with the timeline, but more in regards to our characters. This idea of the shards timeline is maybe beyond our abilities yeah not that that's ever stopped us from speculating in the past <laughs> speculating wildly but i do think that we're not going to be able to solidify a timeline the question you had about spirits the hijo existing prior to virtuosity shattering or after i think it would be helpful to maybe do some comparisons to other things we see in the cosmere mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because the hijo the spirits i think are most similar to spren on rashar they are some element of investiture mixed with some cognitive realm sentience or just cognitive realmness uh that gives them a little bit more form they exist minutely or at different scales in the physical realm right yes so that's how i understand them and what we know about spren on rashar is that they predated the shards on rashar yeah so that's what i was thinking so maybe the Hijo were already there. Maybe the Hijo naturally arose mm-hmm. once Virtuosity got to the planet. Right. I could see that in the same way that Adenalsium could have walked on Rashar and in the wake of Adenalsium, Spren could have started to manifest yeah. themselves. On Rashar specifically, I think it's a combo. Right. You have like some Adenalsium, some shard investiture creating Spren. But Virtuosity could have showed up on the planet and then the Hijo spirits could have arisen in their wake. But then theoretically, you know, they would be kind of separate or able to exist independently from the shard. They're not a... uh, Because like when honor dies, the spread on Rashar don't disappear or anything. So that would be my guess for the Hijo here is that they naturally arose from the power of Virtuosity's investiture being on the planet for a certain amount of time. And then her shattering didn't really affect them. The other question that you had about the Yogi Hijo, Yumi's role in society, is important to give a hierarchy to as well, a comparison mm-hmm, as well. And Brandon mm-hmm. has helped us out with this one. He has ranked the power level of the Yogi Hijo to be comparable to Elantrians. Mm-hmm. Returned are beneath both of those characters. Mm-hmm. And then heralds are beneath the returned in terms of their, we'll say, like investiture strength. Strength. Yeah, yeah that's a 
great terminology. So Yokihijo, Elantrians, Returned Heralds. That's our ranking system as we currently understand it. And that means that whatever happened, whether it was a purposeful choice or it was like a the power of the shard needed to go somewhere and it mm. pushed itself into these 14 people, mm-hmm. maybe who were the most virtuosos, not the most virtuous. Virtuosic. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Maybe they were a, a peak or they had the potential to be the peak. And so the power just kind of like found the sources that made the most sense. Or maybe it was a purposeful decision of virtuosity. It to- seems purposeful simply because there is such a specific number of them and they are all women. Yes. She's it's like not- creating this almost matriarchal type scenario by choosing you know all women to elevate in this way and the weirdness of this world is remarked upon we have quote this world of yours it's strange the strangest i've ever visited and i've been to threnody you have nightmares that come alive creeping out of a miasma of raw investiture that's the kind of stuff you get on a planet when a god has been killed end quote i think it is important to note that the other place where we know gods have been killed are Threnody. Threnody, yes, but also the Selish system where the vessels yes. have been killed, if nothing else. Yeah. And the power That's, like Yeah, kind of a different scenario. Yeah, but I think that the strangeness is definitely turned up in those places. I think it's interesting that uh the Utol system is being compared to a place where a god has been killed and in this scenario of Utol, the god has not been killed. The shard has been shattered, but we don't right. know what happened to the vessel, right? That, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And the the shard was not shattered by another person. I don't know if I would say that that is killed, you know? It's like murder versus suicide. Understood. Yeah, 100%. And I'm wondering, is that because Hoyd knows more than we do? Or is Hoyd using... Uh, common parlance and just like common phrase right because it's you know yeah flows well uh but i i agree because we have the sellish system where the vessels died and then the shards went chaos but they weren't shattered the power of the shards has been shoved into the cognitive realm where the two powers have merged to create the door exactly and that makes elantrians one of the most invested things. Yeah, because when they are being invested, they're being invested by two shards, the power of two shards at the same time. In the Utol system, we have a vessel who could be very much alive. We have no knowledge about the vessel itself, but we do know that the shard was shattered. Hoyd saying that a god has been killed maybe is pointing to the vessel's dead as well, but we don't have that knowledge specifically. Yeah. And then... The Threnodite system does not have a shard that is native to that system. The shard arrived in that system. A battle ensued, and then both the vessel and the shard were destroyed. Yes. Okay, so those are multiple different things going on across the Cosmere, but I do think they're all related. Yeah, absolutely. The Threnody is the planet that Kamashi reminded me of the most with the nightmares they Mm -hmm. seemed very similar to the shades so i did think it was interesting that hoyd here compares the two planets and kind of just differentiates them 
by saying that Komashi is even weirder than Threnody, I would have expected it to be like, this is pretty much exactly like Threnody. <laughs> to me, that hints at the power or the remnants of the power of virtuosity, like actually inhabiting the system. Maybe that's the Heijo. Maybe that's the Heon lines, which we're going to talk about in more detail. Like there could be a lot more going on in the Utul system, which then when you introduce the weirdness causes more chaos. And so things get even weirder because they're amplified by virtuosity's natural leftovers. Maybe. But my other question about virtuosity is, what do we think her number is? We know that certain shards have affinities for certain numbers or certain colors. Mm -hmm. Obviously, my first thought was maybe 14 because there are 14 Yokihijo. But then I also thought maybe two because so much of the book seems to be about duologies and like a yin yang sort of situation. Black, white, cold, hot. What do you think? I think that two makes a lot of sense. Some of you out there might be saying, hey, Skadriel has two as kind of the representative number. Mm. But I think that's wrong, actually. Skadriel is 16. I think we have confirmation. Right, exactly. I think that there are some similarities to the push-pull nature. And again, I'm going to go to Brandon's interview Mm -hmm. so we can get a direct answer because one of the members of the 17th chart asked why the split into two in regards to the Heon lines. Oh, okay, yep, yeah. And Brandon said, quote, this is a theme you'll see wherever virtuosity is involved. It's a bit reflective of the general nature of the Cosmere where you can see push and pull, but with virtuosity, it is more so, end quote. And I think that really what Brandon is getting at here is that two for virtuosity is, is the important the number. thing. Yeah, hmm. that in across the entire Cosmere, yes, there's some aspect of a positron and electron, a kind of push-pull, a positive-negative yin and yang. All of that stuff exists, but with virtuosity, it's turned up to 11 or turned up to Turned up to two. two. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that's very interesting. And then I just start going down like a numerology-esque rabbit hole where I'm like, okay, well, 14 is two times seven. So what does seven mean? Like, why is it 14? <laughs> As you said, those are the rabbit holes that are introduced, (laughs) and we will go down them. But first, let's get into the history and the backstory of the main setting, the planet of Kamashi. Yeah, let's talk at first just a little bit about the basics of the planet, uh, the two planets in this system. Kamashi is the planet we spend the most time on. On that planet, the locations that we hear about or see are Torio, which is the kingdom that was destroyed way, way back in the day by the father machine. In the modern day that we see, we have Kilahito, which is the city that Painter lives in. And we know that on this planet, one week is 11 days. And I think giving the contrast between the old world and the new world in a very similar way to a modern versus an ancient Japan or Korea, mm-hmm. we have Yumi's quote-unquote world, yeah, which they mistake as the other world, and it's not, but it is Kamashi, and it's what Kamashi was like in the past, before the father machine. This means 
those hot stones that are everywhere with the weird floating plants, the cracks in the earth that have like thermal vents shooting up mm-hmm. air, all of that stuff was what we should expect most of Kamashi was like in the past. Exactly. This I thought was interesting that we have another planet with air coming up from beneath, which we also have uh, on Tressa's planet with the oceans and the... Thermal what do they vents. call it? Yeah, they basically have the same thing, but it's only in the spore seas. So whatever this was, Brandon just really had this concept in his brain. We have this quote from Hoyd uh, about those thermal vents. Quote, I haven't figured out how the thermals worked. My current theory is micro fractures in the stones with air being forced up through them and out. The plants also had something odd about them to float as they did end quote yeah the trees and plants are able to manipulate gravity but also create like a field around themselves that manipulates gravity they are able to get lighter than they should otherwise be so that they can float on the thermals Mm -hmm. but then when a person gets close enough to the tree they also become lighter yeah they get like sucked into that gravity reducing field right. that the tree I, is creating. I was going to say a gravity well, but it's like the opposite yeah. of a gravity well. Yeah, exactly. Hoyd says, quote, plants on Yumi's world don't really defy physics so much as they sneak past while physics is distracted by a nice drama on the viewer. Probably something involving pendulums. Physics loves those things. End quote. That gives us a little bit of a hint, a pendulum swinging outwards from the plants, uh, a pendulum that is... Maybe the tree is the pendulum swinging away from the planet? I thought it was more like the gravity gets interested in the pendulums that are like going away from the tree and it forgets about the tree in the center oh. or something like that. Hmm. You know, a distraction, a, sure. a sleight of hand, basically, that the pendulums open up a gap for the tree gravity manipulation (laughs) project. Really would be helpful, though, if someone could figure out how to mimic this for things like space travel or moving uh, around the cosmere. To just sneak past physics. Exactly. Whenever you can sneak past physics, take advantage of it. It also reminds me of manipulating the surge of gravity on Rashar. And so I'm wondering if there is a similar thing involved here. Like, do the trees have some sort of partnership with some of the hijo, where the hijo are able to give some gravity repellence to the tree in exchange for something? That could work, though. Everything we know about the hijo is that they are attracted to intent and specific thought like an artwork and and creation creation. yeah so the question would be is a tree's creation Ooh, i mean and a piece of intent it's definitely creation yeah tree is like the original creation i okay i agree if we're saying the word creation it's definitely a creation but so too is what the machine does that is also creation and Mm -hmm. the question would be like is it art? Is there enough intent? Yes. I guess. Yeah. I think that's up in the air. We literally don't have the <laughs> answer to that one at this time. But let's go to everyone's favorite off-worlder. That's right, Hoyd. I'm throwing shade at you. <laughs> everyone's favorite world hopper, Masaka. 
Yeah, according to Masaka, in the present day when Painter is alive, we don't have that world with hot stones and floating trees anymore. Most of the landscape beyond the city of Kilohito is just a wasteland. Obviously, it's been enveloped in the shroud, which is investiture. And so there is not really any plant life because it can't live without, you know, sun and whatnot. She describes it as, quote, like the slag castoffs of half-refined souls, end quote. I don't like the idea that you can half-refine a soul. I would prefer that souls come out refined. The shroud is weird. We'll talk a little bit more about the shroud in just a little bit. One fun fact is that it can look like anything, which tells us that it is... I think you just said this a little while ago. It's sort of similar to a light weaving. It's investiture that can be sort of molded to look the way that you want it to look. It definitely has some similarities to light weaving. And I think that especially the advanced form of light weaving we know is possible that has physical weight. Yeah, that Hoyd does to create design. Yes. And that Shalon does in a moment. yeah, Shalon's working on it. She's working on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But we know that's possible. And we know that investiture in the Cosmere can also change forms, gain mass, and is energy in that very fun E equals yeah. MC squared type of way, where it's all there potentially. And then it's about why is it being forced into the form of nightmares versus a pleasant light weaving? You know, what what is kind of going on because the nightmares themselves, I guess I don't want to get too far ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to get into this really deep in just a sec. Let's just stick with what the world is like right now. Uh, Masaka also says there are places that her hordlings are not able to go. So not only can this shroud look like anything, it can also make itself impenetrable to physical things it's not just a shroud it is able to also have physical form exactly quote hard places masaka explained walls in the darkness where the investiture has become solid rising up high in the sky into the atmosphere like columns one vast one a few miles away other small ones circles all of them like fortifications end quote which is such a powerful image, the idea of these big columns of solid investiture rising all the way up to the atmosphere so that there is literally no way to get inside. And within those walls is the world that we see of Yumi and those places where we assume all the other Yokihijo are being imprisoned. They are within those walls. They're in a silo. Fun call out for those of you watching uh, that show on Apple TV based on the book Wool. Great series. Not the one we're talking about today. <laughs> Let's jump over to the other planet in the system, Utol the planet, because we get surprisingly a lot about this planet where none of our characters exist. Yeah. To go back to the silver light uh, that emits from this planet, when we're first introduced to this light in the sky, it's described as, quote, no, not a sun, just one star, 
a bullet hole in the midnight sky, bleeding pale light, end quote. I'm curious if when Virtuosity shattered herself, she created a rift mm-hmm. in the realms? Like, are we seeing light investiture streaming in from like a tiny hole to the cognitive realm or maybe all the way to the spiritual realm? I don't know if that's even possible, but that's just what I thought of when I heard this bullet hole bleeding light. Yeah, it certainly kind of reminds us of a shard pool, but maybe on a grander scale. I think that because we have seen shard pools that are exactly what you described, they are whole, but from the physical through the cognitive and tapped into the spiritual realm, and we don't see the same type of projection, you know, off of Rashar where there are shard pools or vice versa on any of these planets. Yeah, yeah. That it can't merely be that. But plus, I guess this whole theory is junked because the next quote that we have is quote: "The star wasn't merely a spot of light in the sky. Telescopes revealed that it was a planet." End quote. So it's not just a hole, as I was just thinking of. It is actually the planet if you look through a telescope. They see the planet. The star, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is something going on about the planet that is weird. This light is not normal. And what is so confusing to me is that the people of Painter's world are so motivated by this light, so motivated by this other planet that they invest whatever amount of money, time, resources, human effort in space travel so that they can ride a bus across the Heon lines over to that planet and then they land on it. This is like the most major thing that would ever happen. You know, humans setting foot on Mars is the functional equivalent. But there's people on Mars. Except there's people on (laughs) Mars and then you just, and they have four arms. So I think that the fact that in the back of this story, there was first contact going on is totally. so wild. Yeah. And maybe just points at how common first contact is going to be throughout the cosmic. <laughs> it's just going to be happening so much on the reg that this was able to just happen in the background when normally this is a full story. Like this is the story. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. As you said, they meet people on this planet, Utol. They are Shodel people who are once again described as having chalk white skin. They're very tall and limber with four arms. So that is, you know, consistent with what we know about Shodel. And then that's basically all we know about the planet of Utol. It brings up a lot of questions about what's been happening on Utol because we would have to suspect that while there's not the same shroud and father machine going on, there does have to be broken, weird stuff because of virtuosity shattering. Mm, yeah. Like it's not a normal planet that is just casually looking at their neighbor, you know, engulfed in a miasma <laughs> totally. of dark investiture. Like I. What if they can't even see Kamashi? They shouldn't be able to see yeah. Kamashi because if sh- like this spaceship or it's like a trolley, really, <laughs> space trolley. <laughs> starts coming at them and they're just like, where, where did you come from? All we can see when we look out into space is black. 
Right. The kind of way that light works, of course, is that there is a reflection or a bouncing back of the photons to you, the viewer. And if the shroud does not reflect anything, if it just like sucks up any light into the shroud, then it would be a black hole. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to see it. Exactly. It would just be non-existent. You would have to have some other method of seeing. Like, we don't look at black holes with light. We see them because they're spitting out lots of cosmic radiation and whatnot. So that's what we're looking at, not light reflected off. And we don't know if the people of Utol are even aware that there is another planet there. But the for the people on Kamashi, that other planet is one of the most meaningful things in their existence. It's the only thing outside their planet that they're able to see. And it would have been the only guiding force for all those people who didn't have cities, like that one light fixed point. Think about in our history, the number of people and societies that built so many things all around navigating by constellations Mm -hmm. and stars and like the placement of different things in the night sky. This civilization has one has like their one North Star, that's it. And we would have to assume that it is, you know, functionally the same. It is at the basis of myths. It's the basis of stories. Yeah. And the motivation to get off planet and to go see there, you know, it forced them to look up out of the miasma where otherwise they might have been stuck on the ground, you know, just totally trying to survive. Instead, they... In that way, Utol is a lighthouse for Kamashi literally guiding them out of the miasma yeah yeah and i think that if it is an example of the shodel are not native to utol but are native to yolan yeah if they came to utol it's entirely possible that maybe they did know what was going on in kamashi and this is an effort by them to aid yes in the Mm. only way that they can which is just like provide light Like, we're not going to go onto that miasma (laughs) shroud planet to, like, see if there's any survivors, but we'll give you the lighthouse. And it could have been, like, the first example. I mean, the timeline gets a little bit weird here because it's only been 1,700 years and we know the Cosmere is much older than that. Yeah. So they might not have known about it for very long, but this could have been purposeful to, like, help them out of the darkness. I think that's a possibility. I don't think it's likely, but it's not not a possibility. Okay. We've gotten sort of our baseline of the planets in the system, what they're like, what's going on here physically in space. Let's dive into the history of Komashi. How did we get here? Why is it covered in this shroud? What's up with the shroud? What is it made of? All of that good stuff. We know that 17 centuries ago, Yumi was born and was a real person, we talked about the hot zones, the kind of rural nature of existence, yep. a kind of uh, pre-industrialization Japan or Korea. And in this society, we have Yokihijo, who are powered. They are traveling around to all of the towns, as we see Yumi theoretically doing in her world. They're stacking stones. They're making fabrials for these rural farming towns and seems like that is kind of how life was at this time and we have a similar story repeating for yumi about 
the difficulty the Yoki Hijo are having providing for everyone. And so other people inventing a machine, which will become the father machine, to kind of replace those Yoki Hijo. Mm. That happens in their world just for the same reasons, or we should assume for the same reasons that they are presented to Yumi. Yeah, absolutely. By Painter's time, by the time this book picks up, it's been 17 centuries and... Quote, as far as they were concerned, the blackness of the shroud was normal. They'd only survived because of the high on, the lights that drove back the shroud. End quote. Interesting of note, stories say that the nightmares had originally come from the sky. Yeah, in Painter's world, the stories that have been passed down over the years cite the nightmare is coming from the sky, which I'm unclear exactly why that would be. Maybe that is just a story detail that was kind of added over the years and is not historically accurate. But one connection that I made with this is that the connection that happens between Yumi and Painter is also described as coming from the sky and sort of like hitting them like a comet, which is why they think that it might have something to do with the quote-unquote star. So I don't know if there's anything to that. It was just a connection that happened in my brain. It's interesting to me because of what we had just talked about, where stories, myths would all flow towards that one point in the sky. Maybe that means both the good and the bad. Everything has to come from that mm-hmm. one point in the sky mm-hmm. Because it would there's make... nothing else. Everything else is just darkness. <laughs> exactly. And so yeah. it's just like the nightmares come from the sky. Blessings come from the sky. You know, our navigation, our stories, everything comes from the sky because that's the one thing that we have where something could conceivably come from. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thought. OK, then about 1763 years ago, so 1763 years ago, the father machine was turned on. It was meant to stack stones like a Yokihijo, attract spirits, and then create power for the people. That is not actually how it worked. The idea was that they were going to turn the father machine on and it would start stacking rocks uh, again in order to attract spirits, create power. It seems like the scientists didn't think about a catalyst? Like, how were they going to start the machine? It would need power to start, but its purpose is to create power, so it wouldn't have the power to start. Seems like a big oversight on behalf of these scientists. They did not create a catalyst. And so, in order to complete its programming, to follow its directive, its command, the machine uses human souls, the power of the investiture in human souls to start, basically. That's its catalyst. It sucks up all of that investiture in order to start stacking stones to attract spirits, to create power. So the creators of the father machine are its first victims. We, I mean, I mean or the people and directly everybody around. else. Yeah. <laughs> so it immediately goes out and says, I need power to begin yes. my programming. Yes consumes their souls, which are investiture and can just be moved around. It has the same limits on energy in our universe, which is that it can't be created nor destroyed. You're just shuffling it around a little bit. And it's like, oh, look, 
you happen to be over there in human form. I'm just going to borrow you to start my machine process. Once that machine process has begun, then it can carry out its objective of attracting spirits, which it does perfectly for the next nearly 2,000 years uh, until Yumi shows up and beats his pants off like the great <laughs> John Henry that she is. Yes. And I know that we have already gotten some feedback from you listeners out there, and we want some more. But this question about what the father machine is, I gave a hot take in our first episode, and we're going to dive into this basically like every episode as we continue going forward here. But our patron, Fubar, in reference to me calling the father machine a paperclip maximizer, and only a paperclip maximizer, pointed out that, that the thought experiment the paperclip maximizer, is in regards to or is part of the discussion in artificial intelligence and deals with what is known as the alignment problem. How do you align the goals of humans, the creators, mm. with the yeah. machines that they create? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do you... Obviously, what we have here is a machine that is not aligned with what the humans wanted because they didn't think right. about it. They gave Which the is why we come back to that quote, be very careful about the commands that you give an awakened machine. Exactly. Now, an awakened machine versus an AI is kind of where I want to, at least I want to introduce this concept because it is still my opinion, despite FUBAR and many other people on the internet who are like, the father machine is an AI. I still think that the Father Machine represents a non-artificial intelligence, at least at the point of its creation. In this moment in their history, when the machine is turned on, I don't think it's an AI. I think it's a machine that they don't know how to control in the same way that maybe uh, nuclear bombs could be a machine that we don't know how to control. I don't know. For a lot of reasons based on the text. But in this moment, my thought is if... You and I created a machine and forgot to give it a catalytic power source. We turn it on. It just wouldn't do anything. It just wouldn't work. However, if it's an AI machine, then maybe it has the ability to find its own catalytic power. That's, That's my argument for this still being an AI machine, even at the very beginning, because it does get around that original problem. roadblock. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good, strong argument that it basically runs into a problem and is able to and solve that like, problem. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Without the intervention of the humans. Exactly. And that is an excellent distinction between AI versus not AI. You know, when something can solve a problem mm -hmm. that it wasn't programmed. Specifically programmed to solve. Right. Yeah. Like that is a good distinction. And I think that your argument is very strong with the exception that in this universe, there is Cosmere, Magic, and Investiture. And I think that that is introducing more complexity into the system that basically what we have here is the machine is given an ability to take in energy from the power source that it expects, which is spirits. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you you know, fuel yourself with spirits. But there is no difference between spirits and humans yeah. to the machine. So it didn't reprogram itself. It didn't go outside of its parameters to get that catalytic start. 
It mm. literally did everything that it was programmed to do exactly as it was programmed to do. Yeah. They just didn't realize that they were the source. Yeah, yeah. They didn't realize. They didn't. Obviously, they weren't like looking inside of themselves like, hmm, my soul is made out of the same things as Hijo. <laughs> exactly. They gave the directions of like, use spirits to power yourself. Yeah. And then you it's are like, investiture machine. Use investiture. And it was like, there's investiture like, right okay. here. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't go. And that is really what I am looking at this thing as an artificial intelligence. You know, lots of examples that we could pull from. I think we'll save the specific references to real world stuff going on. But basically, I don't think that this machine has shown any ability right now to adapt, change, or even learn which to me is the baseline of what is necessary to be an artificial intelligence. I think you're wrong, but perfect. Let's just get back to our sort of historical timeline here. Machine turns on, it does its thing, it gets around its programming issue by sucking in all of the souls. Or it doesn't get around its programming issue and it does exactly what it was required to do. When it does this, the machine destroys the human bodies. It harvests their investiture, and that somehow creates the shroud. It's described as, quote, a dark miasma literally crafted from the dead. Everyone's identities evaporated and transformed into this dark force. Imagine it like the tar that decomposed bodies sometimes turn into, end quote. Super important to note that identity is capital I identity. How in the world does your capital I identity evaporate? How does it get transformed into a dark force that's like tar? I have tons of questions about that. And then sort of later on in that passage, it says, quote, a soul cannot be destroyed. It can only change forms. The machine then didn't use people up so much as transform them. They lingered as this blackness, a churning soup made of tens of thousands of souls subject to the machine's domineering will, end quote. So I think there's a lot of visual similarity to like the burning of coal and like fired plants you know mm -hmm. filling the sky with dark smoke especially over early industrialized cities like london where it was like hard to breathe because there was just so much smoke in the air and all of that was of course fueling their society in the advancements that they had mm -hmm. what i think is important is this explainer quote the machine saw all souls, not just the spirits that lived beneath the ground, as a viable power source. When first turned on, it was hungry. It needed strength to follow its instructions to stack stones, and it wanted an overwhelming amount of power to jumpstart its work. No spirits were available, so instead it reached out and seized the nearest sources it could find, the souls of the people of Torio. End quote. Kind of backing up my idea that it had no distinction between human and spirit but once it had that catalyst and once it could perform its task of stacking stones it then became a perpetual energy machine it was basically taking in the necessary energy it required as a machine yeah i want to talk about the actual shroud but to get to your point right now you're completely right. They designed this to be an infinitely powered machine. Theoretically, this is possible because the Hijo, the spirits, 
are connected to the spiritual realm. So it sort of traps them and then is able to continue pulling investiture out of them. And like the spirits are never going to run out of investiture because they are connected to the infinite well of investiture that is the spiritual realm. Yeah, in a weird way, it's almost like metallurgy and an allomantic source specifically that has is in positive, right? Where we understand the metal on that planet as a key that unlocks the spiritual realm, which is infinite energy, an infinite source. Mm-hmm. And if you had a bit of metal that never decayed, never burned out, never needed to be replenished, and you need it was just a metal that was perfect and could be opening the spiritual realm, that's basically what the father machine is able to do with these spirits. Yeah. The spirits, in my example here, are the metal. They basically just like allow the passageway to be open to the spiritual realm, and then the machine can pull out as much energy as it wants, and the spirits never seem to decay or break. Right, exactly. It never runs out of Mm -hmm. power. Right. What happens when it does this, the sort of byproduct of the shroud being created. And that quote that I read earlier indicates to me that there is actually some kind of line between soul and investiture. Like all souls may be innately invested. But what I hear from this passage happening is that the machine sucked the investiture out of the souls. And then the souls stick around and create the shroud. Yeah, I think that's a fine... I mean, but the miasma is also investiture. That's kind of the thing. It's not like the souls aren't non-investiture. I I mean, I'm just reading what it says. It says that it's crafted from evaporated identities. And it says that it is crafted from thousands of souls that are lingering in the blackness as churning soup. And at other times, the miasma, the shroud, is Mm -hmm. described as investiture. It is able to be manipulated, which is what makes me think it's investiture. But maybe the machine is just manipulating identity. Like, what does evaporated identity mean? What does it do? We have no idea. Yeah. I I mean, there's, (laughs) there's definitely lots of questions. Brandon also referred to the shroud and the way that it's able to change as a little bit of stormlight given physical form or physical presence like a light weaving. So like light weaving. Yeah. Uh So light weaving is stormlight shaped around in in whatever form they want can be given some physical presence, Mm -hmm. but the base of light weaving is manipulating stormlight. But why which is would, investiture. Why would the machine not have sucked up every bit of investiture? You know what I mean? Like it seems pretty it, efficient. I guess maybe we can just say that is an inefficiency of the machine is like it sucked up some but not all of the investiture in the humans. No, I think that we would better understand it like a coal-burning plant that took in coal, that's human souls, which is energy, densely packed, right? And then it burned that coal. It got the thing that it wanted, which was investiture. No, it didn't want investiture. It needed a catalyst to start because what it actually wants is spirits. Like that's its goal is to attract the spirits. But like you said, spirit, investiture, it's the same thing. 
it like it runs on investiture. Mm-hmm. That's its power source. So yes. the thing that it is going to extract from the fuel is investiture. And then there is a byproduct that it cannot use as power, which would be anything not investiture, that it would then spew out creating the shroud. I think that... Like, I don't think it has a secondary power source of electricity or whatever. It would just be like the souls of the hijo or the investiture of the hijo, that direct tap into the spiritual realm is its secondary power source. I, I think, don't think there's a difference. Well, we know that the miasma is investiture. The souls that it takes at the start are like coal that is burnt and that goes up into the sky. It's not in a different, well, it's in a slightly different form, but it's not yeah. absent What's of the byproduct? Anything. Heat. That's the byproduct. Well, is I we mean, the quotes heat. are saying that the byproducts are evaporated identity and souls. So con- we conceivably, it doesn't care about the identity. Right. So that's irrelevant to it. And that is part of the miasma. Yeah. But the other thing that it doesn't require is whatever investiture was in the people that are now the investiture of the miasma. Like, I don't think the miasma is without investiture. From my understanding, it is investiture. It's just been shaped differently than it was in the human souls. And it is separate from the investiture from the hijo and the spirits. Even though, yes, you're saying they're the same thing and we can understand them as the same thing. I just don't know why the machine would release investiture that it could potentially be using as power. It had the You think like once it gets the spirits, it's just like, I would rather have this? Because it's a perfect How would it know the difference? I mean, yeah, I guess maybe that is what it's telling us. There actually is a difference some type of signature in the investiture between the identity. a spren and a human. Yeah, it's like burning coal versus getting solar energy, right? It's more direct and it's more potent. And if you could choose one or the other, as the machine had the option, well, it ran out of humans to keep processing. But like it burnt the coal that it had available and that allowed it to get the solar power or the spirit power which is better. And so then it keeps operating as a perpetual machine using the spirit investiture. I would think that the human investiture would just be like used up. But I guess it's more it like can't be, it just transforms exactly. into a I think that's the thing. hard thing to understand is that it can't be destroyed. It can't be used up. It can't go anywhere. It has to be recycled into the system. Just like when you burn coal, it doesn't disappear it get, goes up into the air and normally causes a bunch of problems. Well, in the but atmosphere. it's not. Yeah, but it's not coal anymore. It's byproducts of the process. I mean, it's just carbon. It's that's all. It, it is coal. It's just now coal that is spread in a fine dust all across the planet until it eventually falls back down. But like, it is still carbon in the atmosphere. Previously, it was just carbon underground, and then you know we dig it up, and that becomes the coal. But I think what is important to understand is that. What we do get from the machine after it's stacking rocks, after it has done this process, and after it has become a perpetual machine, are the Heon lines, the Heon stubs, as they are first called. Yeah. Those become the mainstay of 
painter society and obviously space travel and everything else we've talked about all comes from the existence of those Heon lines. And so maybe part of what you are asking, you know, what's the byproduct? Where, where is it coming from? What The answer is like the Heon lines. Well, no, those are the product, not the byproduct. Like that I was its That's goal. To create the to Heon To create lines. the Heon, yeah. Mm, okay. Which Interesting. it did do successfully. Right. <laughs> And it never, in my view, it never changed any of its programming from what it was told to do. Again, just making it a machine with catastrophic implications rather than an artificial intelligence. There are quotes throughout the text that refer to the fact that the machine is able to manipulate not only the investiture in the shroud, the nightmares, etc., but also like... Uh, not just like making it look like certain things, but like making the fake scholars and stuff speak for the machine in some ways. And there is this quote, the scholars weren't completely right about it having no will. Any object as invested as it was would take on at least some trappings of self-awareness, end quote. This is where things get really chaotic and cosmere chaotic specifically <laughs> because anything invested in the cosmere that sits around with that investiture over enough time we know gets some trappings of self-awareness and maybe that can develop to full sentience or full sapience however you want to define it we've seen other examples of this we think you know maybe like the island of Padji has some trappings of self-awareness because it is a heavily invested thing obviously nightblood an awakened piece of metal has nearly sentience if not full like sapience and we think that there are other examples of this throughout the cosmere of things that have been sitting with investiture for a long period of time gaining some sentience so this is where I think you're wrong that it is not an AI. Like this quote from the text specifically says that the scholars were wrong about the machine not having a will of its own. It says that they were wrong about it having no will and that there are trappings possible of self-awareness. Yeah. And this is where I think that the question of what is the father machine at the end of the story versus what was the father machine when it was turned on, there may be a difference in those two things it may be an ai by the end of the story but i don't think it's an ai when it's turned on i don't know who do you think made the decision to trap the yoki hijo the so the machine gets turned on sucks in all the souls does a thing can't suck in cannot suck in the yoki hijo they are the only Mm -hmm. people who are strong enough to resist the machine and specifically we get this quote all obey the machine except those who are too powerful, except those who have been blessed by the spirits. You, it cannot control, end quote. Because everything else, the machine is able to control. It's able to make them talk. It's able to make decisions like how to uh, entrap the Yoki Hijo. It's able to force all kinds of different pieces of investiture to present as humans, to even take on some of their original identities, make them move and think and et cetera, et cetera. Well, see, this is where I think what's going on with the nightmares specifically and the mentor, Leon, is important to bring into the conversation because the nightmares are not 
just the creations of the father machine. Yes. The nightmares are cognitive shadows. Yes. They are real people who are seemingly given a light weaving, but it's a shroud weaving, <laughs> a, a miasma weaving. Yeah. And that miasma around them is able to, like you said, take some of their memories, uh, mimic what they were in the real world. But it also seems like giving sentience back to the cognitive shadow allows the cognitive shadow to reassert more and more control, like Leun was eventually able to do. Leun wasn't operating as an agent of the father machine. She did that for a very long period of time, but eventually her cognitive shadow won out over the miasma. That is... It's described differently, but we're going to dive into the shroud and the nightmares and everything in our next episode more fully. So I want to save it for that. One last quote to give just on this whole machine business is, quote, a curious aspect of machines, even ones partially awakened like this one. They don't plan. They don't think about the future. Most machines can only react to the state of things in the now, end quote. So that backs up your point about this maybe not being AI. It is not planning, ideating the future and thinking about things as a human would. I still think that it is doing things in the present that it was not programmed to do. And that maybe is the side effect of it being awakened and at least somewhat self-aware that it's able to act outside of its programming in the present, but it is not a human being. Yeah, I would say that I agree for the most part that the invested part of the machine, the invested part is what is gaining sentience and gaining sapience. And the machine is just the body that that sentience happens to live within and operate within. And so the machine doesn't think about the future. The machine doesn't do anything except for pay attention to the now, stack rocks in this case. That's all that it wants to do and is still doing. And that's the only thing that it ever does. But that there may be a invested sentience coming to the fore. And we don't know how long it would take to like fully assert control. When does it become a more Nightblood-esque like personality and uh, you know fun-loving machine that wants to like travel the Cosmere. I don't think that would maybe ever happen because it's bound in a different way by like the physical machine that it is. Clearly, though, there is a lot to discuss here, and I think that the reaction that we're having and the fans are having is an example of a good story. And while this is a simple one, it is definitely one that is cosmologically important. Yeah. <laughs> And it was one that can keep asking these questions about the nature of the Cosmere, the nature of souls and identity, connection, and how all of these things are operating. It's going to be really important, I think, to understand Yumi and be able to take the knowledge that we gain from Yumi and then apply it back to Mm, something like the Stormlight Archive uh, or our other major stories to kind of give us a groundwork and a plan of where we are going in the future. Absolutely. Obviously, we still have so much to talk about. So we're really excited to get back on Mike for our next episode. Uh, Until then, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Mm